Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you all. And again, let me thank our partners for making this worldwide broadcast possible. I I want to continue looking at that request in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. The response from last week has been amazing. Um, I I do believe the Holy Spirit showed things that some folks had never heard before concerning temptation. And so that inspires me to pursue this. In a sense, I'm going a little bit beyond uh, talking about that request of the prayer and looking more deeply into what we said last week. But I think it's important. Um, It's a very important request, and it's important we know what it's about. And so the actual text is from Matthew chapter 6, Lead us not into temptation. But I want to read um, another couple of verses from James in chapter 1, which I trust by the end of this you will see uh, fits right into it. So James writes in verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing... Do you remember I said last week the words temptation and trial and tribulation? Essentially, it's this word put to the test. The testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Okay, Um, let me say it again. It's very important. I realized just how important it was from our responses that the words that scatter through the New Testament that are variously translated as trial or tribulation or temptation Essentially, we're talking about this word, putting to the test. Putting to the test to see what is there. And not, you must never think of it as negative. This isn't the cold sweat of going in to take a test that's going to change your life. This is the excitement uh, of putting to the test to see that everything that the manufacturer said is actually true. It is putting the the metal that they said would stand up to this enormous stress and pressure where you put it to the test and discover, yes, it stood up to it and and it would have done even more, you see. And, And so this is a very positive word in the New Testament. It's a testing that is going to reveal to you just exactly who you are in Christ. And notice also, 
that this verse we just read from James 1 emphasizes what I said last week, that the temptation, the testing, is not of your willpower. I don't know how many people over the years I have been able to help as they had looked at trials and temptation as being a matter of willpower, that, I, that I've got to grip my teeth and say, no, I won't do it, I won't go, I won't say, or whatever, but it always comes back to them, I won't, I won't. And, and, and it's a testing, then, in their minds of their willpower, which, of course, completely falls apart uh, because it's, not, it's nothing to do with that. It says here, and let me say in a number of other places, that it is the testing of our faith. And so our faith is what is being tested and we'll look at that in more detail um, in a moment. You see, you could look at temptation or testing from either the devil's point of view or God's point of view. And uh, uh, hopefully our point of view is God's point of view. We, we've taken God's position here. The devil, in, in tempting, for the devil tempts with an intent to lure you into sin. Um, but the, the devil's intention in tribulation or trial or temptation is always to destroy. The, the Satan, that's all he can do. Uh, that is his essence, his being. He is the destroyer. And so it is to destroy our faith, our faith. And that's what he's after, putting the pressure upon our faith. Or the other words that Jesus said of him, that he comes to steal and to um, kill. And, and that's what he seeks to do, to steal away our faith and all that comes with our faith. Well, that, that's the devil's intent, which is no surprise to me. But what often the believers don't understand is that God uses temptation. He uses it in order to reveal and establish the content of our faith. Content of our faith. Now, when we say faith... Faith is, how can I put this? Number one, faith is not what we believe. And there are many of my brothers and sisters who would interpret the faith as being the content of what they believe about God, what they believe about Jesus, what they believe about salvation, and so on. And so the faith becomes something that I believe well, no, no. Um, where, wherever that fits in, it, it's not number one. And also, faith is not simply a what a formula uh, in order to get something. Faith in the Scripture is maybe better understood as the word trust. Faith has in it the idea of resting into. Faith is then trusting. It's not what I believe, 
but I know whom I have believed. It's speaking of our personal, hourly relationship to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that achieved through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that made real to me in the person of the Holy Spirit. Faith. And it is that, that relationship, that trust that we have in the Father through Jesus by the Holy Spirit, that is what the devil is seeking to destroy and steal. And he is totally confused and, and, and totally defeated because his pressure upon us actually is used by God to reveal and establish that relationship that we have in Christ. And so in temptation, the, the pressure is on, and in that pressure we discover who God really is. And I'm not going to go off there because we, we've said so much about that, except to say He is love. And so often we can begin to think of the love of God as, what can I say, um, something concocted in our heads, a, a concept maybe would be a good word, just a concept, um, or dare I say, we think of him almost as an imaginary friend, that, that somehow this is, this is all something inside my head. But in temptation, the testing, uh, I realize the absolute real that he is, the objective real. He's not my imagination. He's not a concept. He's not a doctrine. He is who he is. He is love, and he is active in loving you. And he's active in, in that love, favoring you and blessing you. That's who he is. And in trial, from both the devil's point of view and God's point of view, that's what's under, under stress. The devil is seeking to convince you that God isn't that. And he puts up every logical reason for that. That the the what shall I say? The presentation temptation. What you think is the temptation is really to get you away from this simple trust in the God who loves you, but also the 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 faith in this relationship that we have through Jesus with the Father the faith is about me. It is believing what God believes about me. Did you, did you hear that? The faith is not just simply believing in God, believing that he's love, but then a radical revolution in what I believe now about myself. I believe about myself what God believes about me, what Jesus believes about me what the Holy Spirit believes about me. The Father believes in the work of Jesus in saving me. He believes in the work of Jesus in totally cleansing me from sin. The Father believes that I am in Christ Jesus. The Father 
believes that Christ is in me and the Holy Spirit believes that. And, and, and our walk of faith is that we enter into the very mind of God and we see ourselves. That's the essence of repentance. I've talked about that before. Repentance does not mean beatings and, oh, woe is me, I'm poor, I'm rotten, I'm no good. No, not at all. It's quite the reverse. It's a radical change of mind from what you used to believe in the darkness to now believe to have your mind woven together with the thoughts of God about you. So you know that you're the beloved of God. You are the disciple whom Jesus loves. That's who you are. And the trial, the testing, is to draw out what would be otherwise unrealized. Draw out facets of his love. Facets like a diamond with it, its multifaceted surface. So the love of God, the life of God in us, as we, the pressure is on and we stand into and we declare and rest in that we are the beloved of the lover God. So you see, um, you come out of the test knowing now what before you might have heard by hearsay or a preacher or a book, you'd heard it, read it, it was a rumor, but now you know because in that darkness you stepped into the absolute truth of who you really are in Christ Jesus. And you drew upon strength that was not yours. And you drew upon wisdom that was given to you by the Holy Spirit and the peace and the joy and so on. So you could say that the trial, the time of testing, is not only, it's not bad, quite the river it's an upgrade an upgrade to a new dimension of assured living in Christ a new level of this life in Christ now you know something that before you had been told or you knew it because you read it even if you read it in scripture and you believed it but now you've tested it you see You've walked through the valley of the shadow of death and he was with you and he gave you his peace and he was your strength. You have something that no one can give you in a sermon. You've got proof. You, you, you have now got a track record with him. The trials, you see. And, and so what we are praying lead us not into temptation the key word there is into lead us not to be sucked into the dark energy of the temptation save us from being sucked into that which would destroy our faith and that which would steal it away from us save us from that Rather, lead us not into temptation, but in leading us not into temptation, lead us into the maturity, the authority of a track record with God. See, 
this, what I've called a moment ago, this sucking energy of the darkness. Um, you, you can recognize it because it always has in it the element of doubt and suspicion. Have you noticed? I mean, just, just think a minute. Just think, in, in days of trouble, in days of trial, what is the suggestion that comes to your mind and, and comes so subtly you think you're thinking it, not realizing that it's a flaming arrow shot into your brain by the devil? The, the question that presents itself, is God really here? I mean, have you, uh, come on. Uh, sit down, tell me. Have you ever heard that thought voice in your mind? Is God really here? <laughs> I feel terribly alone. I feel abandoned. Is, is God really with me? Which, of course, then is the, the next natural, logical thing is, well, if, he's, I, I don't, I, if God isn't with me, then is God love? Is he good? Is he kind? Is he truthful? Because he said he would never leave me nor forsake me. And so suddenly I find myself on this slope of slimy mud of doubt and I'm sliding, slipping down. And it can happen in a matter of minutes, even seconds sometimes. But have you noticed the attacks on your identity? that you are a child of God, that Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit actually lives relationally in you. You in the midst of him and he in the midst of you. That's who you are. A terrible sight to the darkness. But another flaming arrow that comes in is, well, if, if, if you are a son of God... Why on earth are things the way they are? Ever heard that? You know, I, I thought, I thought if, if I was a child of God, if I was under the blessing of God, then these kind of things wouldn't happen to me. Ever had that thought present itself to you? I feel very at home with the Lord Jesus. The father had said to Jesus at the River Jordan, at a monumental moment, the father spoke to the son and the Holy Spirit witnessed within the son. The father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And in in that word from his father, witnessed by the Spirit, Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. And what does the devil say? As Jesus was weak from 40 days of fasting, and the devil comes almost as sort of some chap you'd meet at the water fountain. He says, well, you know, I, I heard, I heard, but... If you're the son of God, I mean, it's a logical question, isn't it? If you're the son of God, how on, what, doesn't make sense that you're hungry. Doesn't make sense that you're weak. I mean, 
be logical, you know. If you're the son of God, what, what's happening doesn't make sense. And of course, if you were the son of God, you could take these stones and turn them into bread, couldn't you? Yes, identity. What is under stress in temptation is the person, the character, the truth regarding Father and Son and Holy Spirit, who is love and Savior. But also what is under stress is who you are according to the thoughts of God that were revealed in and through and by Jesus. And in then the scripture, God's thoughts about you that you are his beloved child by sheer gift. Jesus has elevated you into the heavenly places where you sit with him. Sit as a grace person within the embrace of the Holy Trinity. And who you are. And all the wisdom of God available, all the strength of God available to you. Or the grace of God, the blessing of God. Now that's under pressure and it comes with those insinuations. Well, if you're really a child of God, if, if you really have this relationship with God, because you haven't been living so well lately, have you? But if you really have this, then how come this? How come these feelings that you're having? How come these pressures? How come things don't go right? Attacks. And along with that, would you understand me if I said a pulse of energy um, that there, there, there can be, and, and scientists tell us about it, a pulse of energy in the atmosphere can wipe out electricity in the U.S. Um, it's those pulses uh, uh, from the sun that come. and Well, temptation usually comes with a, a pulse of dark energy. Have you noticed it, it, it sort of hits you and yet it, it steals at the same breath. I say steals on you unaware. And you are paralyzed with fear and anxiety. It, Satan is, by his very nature, the liar. And so his temptations are always full of lying appearances. And before those appearances with this pulse of dark energy, we feel very small, oh, so small. We feel ourselves to be the incredible shrinking persons. We, we are getting smaller by the minute before the enormity of what we're seeing as being maliciously against us. And then come again in, in our heads and we think they're our thoughts but, but it comes, what if? What if? What, what if this thing, this set of circumstances and the peoples within it, what if they do this and what if they do that and good grief if they do that? Fear paralyzes, paralyzes. You feel you can't do, do anything. You know, Joshua back there at the end of the book of Deuteronomy when Moses appointed him to be, be his successor and then in Joshua 1. I mean, Joshua has been given the authority. 
he's been given the direction as to what he is to do. It's, it's a plain, empowered position. But with it, back in Deuteronomy when it was given and then to him personally in Joshua chapter 1, you read it as he is told what he is to do and lead the people it it says fear not what whatever you do do not fear do not fear and and when you face the enemy do not be timid do do not uh, run run back inside yourself be courageous on and on and after I've read it in one scripture, then I read it in another. I, I, why, why is this repeated? Did Joshua need this so much? I have to say yes, obviously. Because the only, let me say this very carefully, the only, did you hear me? The only weapon that Satan has essentially is fear. If he can scare you, into believing his lying appearance, the way he weaves circumstances and situations before your eyes, if he can scare you with that, then we will forget who we are in Christ. We will forget our identity and we'll do crazy things go back, and I know I refer to this so often, but go back to the story in Numbers, what, 13, 14, and, and, and their read of the 12 spies, it's, it's one of the, again, monumental moments in the history of people in the Old Testament. The 12 scouts, they went into the land of Canaan, and it's always a interest to me they they were able to walk through the entire land and nobody stopped them in fact they came back carrying the fruit of the land which took all of their strength to carry it was so big fruit and it was so luscious it was and they, they come staggering back into the camp, carrying all the fruit of the land and saying, the land is everything that you said it was. But they came back scared because the inheritance that God had given to them, the land of Canaan, was peppered with giants. And this isn't a fairy story of Jack and the Beanstalk. The, 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 these fellows who lived there, sons of Anak and a lot of other families, they really were gigantic people. I, I was watching a boxing match the other night. A um, couple of heavyweights, and, and they were not only heavy in muscle and bone and body, but they were... oh. I would have had to look up to them, gigantic chaps. And they're there in the ring and they're ready to fight. And there stood the referee in the middle of them. And, and he was a little bit short, as referees go. And, and so he, he looked a midget. At first sight, he came up to their kneecaps. Uh, and he, he's the referee. And he's looking up at them as he's giving them instructions. And I, I thought of this story that... that 
when they went into the land and they saw it was everything that God had said and it was there waiting for yet there were these gigantic families that lived there and it scared them and there's no other word for it. they were scared of these gigantic people and they said we we know when we went in the land that we, we were nothing more than grasshoppers we were small insects as we looked at these people around us and we saw the size of their weapons and we we, we understood we, we found our true identity now we looked in the mirror of the gigantic people and when we looked in that mirror we saw our faces and we were grasshoppers and we know oh with what authority they said that we know that they looked at us and saw that we were grasshoppers mere insects to be trodden on and based on that scared spitless report the people wandered aimlessly in the desert for 40 years instead of going in to take the land and interestingly 40 years later they found out when Joshua sent in two scouts after 40 years and that whole generation had died now and now of the young ones coming up and he sends in two scouts and the two scouts you remember they they went to Rahab in Jericho and she reported that while they thought of themselves as grasshoppers 40 years before the people had seen them as these invincible mighty creatures of God and were terrified in fact she said our hearts melted inside of us Isn't it interesting the mighty people of God scared out of their wits hopped across the desert thinking they were insects while those who were ready to surrender just wondered why they had left it's all lies you see it's lies what what was satan doing there he was putting their faith to the test and, and the the fear caused them to forget who they were forget their identity forget the absolute truthfulness of god and to trust him even though it was dark and frightening and so in temptation and these trials we become afraid of what might happen so that's into the area of lie the what-ifs, this might happen, that might happen. We, we become afraid of the size of the threat, which of course is because we're looking at it through Satan-loaned glasses. Uh, and the more we look, the smaller we think ourselves to be. We become afraid of things, stuff, situations that once enslaved us. I'll leave it at that. We don't have time to go into it. But something that once enslaved you, just the mention of it, the presence of it can cause you to be afraid because you've forgotten your strength now that you are and the newness of your true person in Christ. Sometimes the very name of a person or the name of a place or the name of an event can bring back memories that make you so scared and afraid. So it reduces God's promise to the level of our fear. 
And have you noticed that Satan always, and I mean always, drags you back to the past to discuss something in the past which will be magnified to affect your present? Or he'll go into the future with all the what-ifs and magnified. Satan is terrified of now. Because now is where the presence of God is. Now is where the light is. If you go off into the past or off into the future, no, he doesn't dwell in fantasy, doesn't dwell in lies. He dwells in the truth of who he is right now. So what do we do? And I am getting to my text, by the way. How can I put this? We be present to him who is always present to us. You see, if you followed the last 10 minutes as I've described how the test comes and it's always to test our faith, to, to test that we believe the report of Jesus that the Father never leaves us. We believe the report of Jesus that he never leaves us. I am with you always. Believe the report. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And all this that is thrown at us in a trial is, is to knock us off that. Instead, what do you do? Be present. And that is a, a, a choice of your trust. Don't, don't, it's not a matter of praying about it. It's not a matter of, oh, God delivered. No, no, no. Just simply be present to him who is love. As the darkness pushes you down, you deliberately, intentionally move up into the love of God and give him praise and thanks that he is your lover. He is love poured out. He is your strength. He is your present wisdom. He is light in the midst of all that is happening. And of yourself, see and declare that you are righteousness. What does that mean? Oh, it doesn't mean that you've kept a, a icy cold list of rules. That's, uh, please. Righteousness is an Old Testament word. It's connected with covenant, not law courts. Righteousness is a word which means you are walking in covenant harmony. It means that you are harmoniously walking in love that will not let you go. And your part of that is, yes, thank you. His part is, I'll never leave you. And you're walking in that love. It's who you are. Be still. Stop the what-ifs. Stop looking at the lying appearances. Stop looking in the mirror of circumstances and words that people say. Stop listening to the flaming arrows in your head. That's not the mirror you look in. Look into the mirror of the gospel and see the face of Jesus as you look in the mirror. For he is your life. Christ dwells within you through the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to peace. The love of God poured out in our hearts produces peace. And that has nothing to do with the Western word peace. Nothing to do with 
Webster's Dictionary piece. This word shalom in the scripture, it means a peace, a harmony, a wellness, a wholeness within a tranquility that has nothing to do with what is happening around you. But you are held in peace. And it's called the peace of God. A divine peace that has been woven into you. And says the scripture, it passes human understanding. Which means your understanding will not be able to understand that peace. You know what I mean? You're supposed to be worried. You're supposed to be anxious. You're supposed to be threatened. But you're not, for you're looking straight up into the Father's face of love. You're recognizing your relationship through Jesus Christ. And you receive that peace, God's peace. Jesus said he's the source and giver of that. He said, my peace... Listen to that. Jesus, Jesus said, my peace I give to you. And he said, it's not like the world's peace. He said, this peace is let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so the the peace that God gives looks crazy because we're not anxious. We say sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. We say, my father cannot leave me, cannot forsake me. He is with me. And that peace, shall I say produces, maybe that's not the right word. Maybe we're talking about sort of a flow chart here. As we be present to the love of God that is always present to us. And we enter into his peace and Joy. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is not nine, I've, I've heard whole sermons on that, nine fruits of the Spirit. There's no nine. It is called singular, fruit of the Spirit. And, and so love, joy, peace, and all the rest of them, uh, they, it's one fruit. They all overlap each other. And so this peace, there's joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy and peace. And the kingdom of God, says Paul in Romans 14, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, when he's speaking of the trial or the testing of your faith, he says, you, he went on to say, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now this joy, the joy of the believer, the fruit of the Spirit, joy, it is not, now hear me very carefully, it is not just a positive attitude to life, because, uh, I mean, that's chemistry. So, so, um, This we're speaking of, no, it's the fruit of the Spirit, So it tells me this joy comes from the direct activity of the Holy Spirit. And and notice um, where in the Old Testament it says the joy of the Lord. 
a joy that is the divine joy of the Holy Trinity is your strength. Not just a positive attitude. It's an inner grace, an inner gifting of the Holy Spirit. And that inner gifting is the Holy Spirit showing us in waves, and those waves are greater than the pulses of darkness, waves that we know who our Father is. We know who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit graces us with that inner knowing. It says that the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. And the Holy Spirit gives us insight. He gives us the grace of knowing who we are, our identity. And we enter into the celebration of the Holy Trinity over who we are by his work through Jesus. Did did you get that? The joy of the Lord. And I could say the peace, too, arises from the same. But I'm going somewhere with this and going there as fast as I can. That, that this joy, it is the joy of God. It is the joy that God himself has over what he has done through Jesus Christ in us. Can I say that again? The joy that is the fruit of the Spirit, that means the Spirit's joy, the joy of the Lord is the joy of God as he looks and knows what he has done and achieved and worked and established in us, in you. Okay, another one. Do you remember in Hebrews it speaks of Jesus and it says, because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. It says that what carried Jesus through the sufferings and death on the cross was the joy that was set before him. What was the joy set before Jesus? What was the joy that was the goal of what Jesus was doing that was so great it enabled him to get to the goal through the sufferings and death? What was that joy? That joy was you and I. All those sufferings, everything he did was in order to lay hold upon you, declare you forgiven and place you in divine relationship with Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Functioning relationship. That was his joy. That, and when he looked at that joy... The cross and its sufferings were worth it. And it strengthened him. You are the joy of God. Have you ever thought of these things? You are the joy. Look, uh, this may be easier. Jesus told the story of the woman who searched for the coin. Do you remember that? Luke 15. And when she found the coin... It says she called in all her neighbors and she said, and listen very carefully, rejoice with me for I have found the coin I lost. What was she so full of joy about? 
And what was the cause of the party of celebration that she threw? It was the coin. And centerpiece to the party was the coin. She was full of joy because she had found the coin that she had lost and restored it to its place. Saint shepherd. Shepherd goes into wilderness to find the lost sheep and when he found it and he puts it on his shoulders and carries it home and he begins to call out to his neighbors as he walks past their houses come rejoice with me with me with me come and enter into my celebration what are you celebrating shepherd i'm celebrating this sheep that's on my shoulder it's this sheep this is my joy I found my sheep and I'm carrying my sheep to restoration. I'm carrying my sheep back to its original purpose. That was the joy. And of course, the ultimate of those parables, the, of the, the prodigal son that comes home and the father is full of joy and, and summons the son and the whole village into a of celebration and dancing and music which is the finale of the chapter of rejoice with me well, when the son when that son entered into the party what was the party all about him that party when the son began to dance on the dance floor and eat the hors d'oeuvres what was he doing he was entering into participating in the joy that the father had in his, the son's, being there. And of course, um, in the light of that, we could say that his joy over us being now the children of God, being in this state of total forgiveness, innocence. Huh. That's the joy of the Father's heart and He calls us to enter into that. To joy in our identity that is ours in that Christ Himself is now our life. Joy is the voice of faith. We are seeing ourselves through the eyes of the Holy Trinity. Now, that joy leads then indeed to positive thinking, joyous thinking, positive words, positive conversation, gladness of heart and mind and mouth leads to rejoicing and that's putting R-E in front of joy, which means joy on top of joy on top of joy on top of joy, re, 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 doing again, doing again, doing again joy. Why do I take all that time? That text, remember nearly an hour ago that we read in James? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or, or when trials of all shapes, sizes, dimensions, intensity. That would be the meaning there. When trials of every hue and color when they descend upon you and seek to suck you into their dark energy, at that time, he says, count it all joy. Look 
and see who you really are in the light of who he really is and be in his presence who you are and give him thanks. But there's another word here that I've got to get in. It says, count it, count it, all joy. Now, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Uh, that, that is an okay translation, count it. From the, the word in the original language, count it, yeah, and it, it's okay. And almost every translation I know translates it, count it. But the fact is, the first meaning of that word in the original language of James is to lead out triumphantly. Yes, did you hear it? To lead out triumphantly. In fact, it means led by a leader that has been officially appointed and given authority to lead. What is it saying? My brethren, be led out of temptation with the authoritative voice of joy, which is the voice of faith. As you joy with the joy of God over you in this moment, so your faith receives its upgrade. But now, you see, you can then move to this word count because that's a mathematical idea. It, it means that you add up a line of figures and, and it comes to a logical conclusion or you see how we get there add them up and it leads you to a conclusion so I yes I'll throw that in as, as another angle on this that if you do the divine math on who God is and can never be otherwise and who you are, Christ Jesus dwelling in you. Add that up to the divine math. And the logical conclusion is you have been led to triumph over this temptation with a joy that Peter says is a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And, although we don't have time here, but he says that this produces patience. And oh, I'd love to spend time here, but I can't. Enough to say it's got nothing to do with what most people think. You know, that you, you get this, don't you? People say, don't pray for patience. As if patience was hanging out there in a vacuum, a thing by itself. No, patience is all part of love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness. You, you can't separate it out. It's all part of what what Patience may be the better word, which many of our later translations use, is steadfastness. You see, when you have stood with the pressures and the lying appearances and the flaming arrows, and you have intentionally been present to him that you trust, 
and being present to who you see yourself to be in him. And the voice of your faith is to joy in him. You have come to a steadfastness. That is an immovability. You're not blown about by every wind. You're not, you know, get up in the morning and don't feel good. I don't care how I feel. Who am I in Christ? It's a bad day. I can feel it in my bones. You know how people talk, you know. It's going to be a bad week, I know it. I've heard every possible prophecy that spews like vomit out of the flesh of people as they predict their future in terms of darkness and hopelessness. No, we speak that faith that under pressure we come to see this is who I am. I am not my feelings. I'm not even the thoughts that pass through my head about myself. I, I am not the person other people say I am. I'm not who the devil says I am. I'm not even the person I say I am. I am the person that God the Father says I am in Christ Jesus. I live, yet not I. It is Christ himself who lives in me. And you begin to move in what the Bible calls patience or steadfastness. You're not kicked around by every feeling, every passing wind and whim. You stand secure and strong in Jesus Christ. And it says, if we had time to look into it, that, that the result of that is perfect and complete. And perfect means mature, complete. You've been upgraded, you say. You've been upgraded. Well, there it is. You see, lead us not into temptation. But the burden of Scripture thereafter is that lead us not to be sucked into temptation, but rather led out by the joy of the Lord, which is His joy in us. And we join Him in that celebration. And we give Him praise. Um, well, I think, I think there it is. And I trust that you shall pray this particular part of the prayer and know what you're praying and move into new dimensions of a strong and tested, mature faith in Jesus Christ. And now, the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His blessing, His favor be toward you, in you, through you, around you like a shield this week and to the ages of ages. So I bless you and declare that is the way it is.